Welcome back to All That Heals. I'm your host, Vanessa Faria. All That Heals was created to honor all aspects of our healing journeys. Each episode is intended to leave you feeling empowered and nourished with loving permission to be more of your true self. And you'll hear both from experts and everyday people who share their personal take on what helps them heal. We hope they make you feel lighter and inspire you to keep healing and evolving. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the All That Heals podcast. Today, I am joined by Unique Hammond, and she is a holistic nutritionist and life coach, but she is truly one of the most incredible people when it comes to healing. She uses and shares about the bean protocol, which I want to dive into on this episode. I talk a lot about it, but I know that a lot of people want to know more about it. So Unique, thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Mm -hmm. Me too. Thank you so much. I know that you're super busy. You have lots of clients and this is going to be a really incredible conversation because I know so many people have been asking me lots of questions about the bean protocol and it's not the easiest protocol to explain. So I'm really looking forward to have you share all about it, but also to share about your own personal healing journey. Um, I was mentioning just just before how I feel like I know you and I feel like I know a lot about you and your story, but I know for a lot of people listening, they do not. So please share with everybody a little bit about your own background and where you are and how you found the bean protocol. So I guess the best place to start is I can kind of take you on a little journey. I was raised really healthy. My parents were very health conscious and weary of medications and really just instilled that within us. Um, And so when I left home, I did the exact opposite. I found myself doctors anytime, you know, if you've ever met a person that's told you how much they love their doctor and, and you know, in life, I feel like we meet those people who are like, oh my God, I have the best doctor or the best OBGYN or whatever. And I would collect them like, oh, this person says that they're the best. And so I would, you know, yearly appointment, set up an appointment here in the US. It's very different. You mm-hmm. get to choose your doctors. You don't get have referrals. So I would just set up my yearly appointment and pop in and be like, oh, I can't wait to meet this amazing doctor. And So by the time I was mid-20s, I had, you know, a great OBGYN. I had a general practitioner. I also kept my fingers in my childhood, which was natural healing. And I had a a wonderful Chinese medicine doctor who I saw for acupuncture and Chinese herbs and stuff like that. So I I had this interesting balance going on. But in my 20s and through my 30s, I really, if I went to a doctor... And I had an upper respiratory or whatever. And they were like, take a Z-pack. I took a Z-pack. You know, I just kind of like totally, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're in pain. Take Advil and Tylenol. Okay, cool. Oh, you have acid reflux. Take, you know, an acid blocker or whatever. Wow. I really, yeah, I really. So interesting. mm -hmm. (laughs) That's so interesting that you grew up in like natural health, you know, and then you just went the opposite. Well, part of it was this hang up I had with being different. I was raised different. I had a different name. 
And all I wanted was to fit in, to blend in, to not stand out. So this whole natural healing thing, I felt very adult and mature being like, oh, this now it's my time with my body and I get to do what I want. And, you know, what I wanted was just to like, oh, you can make that go away. I'm just going to make it go away. You can make the pain go away. In my 20 and early 30s, it wasn't about root cause. It was about make it go away so I can just live my life kind of mentality. Hey, I hear that. Interesting. Fascinating. And you have the coolest name. And like, wow. I I had the opposite upbringing. I was totally brought up on, you know, conventional medicine and it was not okay for me. It didn't work very well for me. So it's like a long <laughs> life journey to get back to the natural healing ways. And I think that's more common maybe, but wow. Cool. Okay. A lot more common, but okay. Like just imagine showing up to school. Hey, everybody, we'd like you to meet unique. Yeah. You know, it was just like, oh, great. And on top of it, I had sugar-free lunches and, you know, everything was, everything was brown when everybody was eating white things. And it was just like, you know, dread. And then you look at these kids and they're all healthy and you think, well, they're eating all that and they look perfectly fine. And I think we do that a lot in this world where we look at somebody's Instagram and they're thin or they have great skin and they can eat all of this stuff. And so we go, oh, if they can do it, we can do it. Right. Mm -hmm. There's this real comparison mentality that we have going on. And it's, I think it's really hard to just live in our own bodies and listen to what our body is saying. And my body did not like this new lifestyle of sugar and take an antibiotic and, you know, just make it go away mentality that I was living. It was speaking to me, but I just wasn't listening. I wasn't interested in listening to a body that I didn't love. I mean, I just didn't love it. So I was like, oh, I'm just going to quiet it. I'm going to make it shut up kind of thing. Yeah. So my illness story started early I now can track it back to the fact that I had really painful periods when I was young, that hormonal imbalance affected my gut, uh, affected my mood, affected my quality of life. And, uh, later in life, when I was in my, you know, like 1920, my doctor basically was like, you have endo based on all of your symptoms. And so if you want to have kids, you should do it young. And around the same time, my sister had a surgery and discovered that she had endo. So it was very likely that I did as well. So I had kids young, stomach issues, endo, everything kind of continued. It didn't go away as the doctor had said it might. And then I'm sure having kids probably exacerbated whatever you were experiencing, right? Yeah. I just, I mean, it was interesting. I I did. And there's this misconception about, Hey, you're young. You're just going to get pregnant if you know, you have sex once. And it wasn't true for me. It took a year, actually. I started at 21 and I didn't get pregnant till I was 22. And then I had my daughter at 23. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. So, but I'm sure the fact that this hormone imbalance going on played a part of that story. So cut to 27, had my daughter at 26, 27, still had got issues. Oh, the thing I didn't also say is that I had horrible anxiety growing up, like okay. really horrible anxiety. So these are all like these little tidbits that are speaking to symptoms that lead, right? Because symptoms we think of as one-off things. Mm -hmm. We don't think of them as affecting the entire organism and Mm -hmm. painful periods, hormone imbalance, gut issues every single month, right? They're also linked. Mm -hmm. Anxiety, really bad anxiety, Mm -hmm. 
Uh, then leaving home, eating sugar, drinking coffee, getting the alcohol, dabbling with some social drugs like pot and um, maybe mushrooms, mm-hmm. mm, you know, just kind of like dabbled, was never big into drugs as a person. I never went beyond um, those two. Yeah, me too. Uh, yeah, just was just not my thing really. Mm-hmm. And didn't make things better. Like we'd made things worse, horrible, horrible anxiety. So that was a short-lived relationship. But um, yeah. anyway, so then I would say about 2009, 30s, early 30s, my gut issues that used to only happen around my period started to happen all the time. And it was pretty awful. And But it was transient. It would kind of come and go and come and go all month. And I continued to ignore it. And I continued to see my doctors and I continued to get yearly checkups and everything was fine. And I was healthy. Just take a acid blocker for the acid reflux that I had and, you know, loose bowels, constipation, all of these symptoms were just kind of leading me to a place that I still didn't quite understand until in 2010, roughly 34 years old, I was so sick and so unwell that I, food would come in and just go directly out. There was no stopping it. And my Chinese medicine doctor convinced me to get a colonoscopy and see a GI. And, and I did, and I really put off uh, the, the colonoscopy for a long time. Cause I was like, I'm young, I'm should be healthy. Like, I don't really know what's going on here. Finally, after really looking at everything, did I have SIBO? Uh, did I have C. diff? Did I have, you know, an organ in my body malfunctioning? We did ultrasounds, we did CAT scans, we did MRIs, we did blood tests, we did stool tests, we took antibiotics because maybe I had a parasite or an infection that we didn't, that wasn't showing up. So I did exploratory antibiotics. And after that, there was just kind of a no coming back situation. So I went for the colonoscopy and came up with uh, Crohn's diagnosis. Hi. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh man. Your journey definitely sounds like it was such an intense, an intense upheaval to get to that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Um, but I can definitely relate because when I was younger, like I grew up with a lot of gut issues when I was a kid and so much anxiety. And I think I started to really shift things around like age 18, which is when I started to go off gluten and dairy and sugar and explore a bit. It took me a while. It wasn't all at once, but just starting to get over some things because I just kept getting like IBS diagnoses, like nothing was wrong, but you know, you have irritable bowel syndrome and that kind of like runs in my family too. Like a lot, my, a lot of the people in my family have that anxiety and stress and gut issues, but there's no real diagnosis what's going on. I got, I got IBS as well. Like that was definitely something the doctor was like, Oh, you know, IBS, it's very classic for you to go back and forth between constipation and diarrhea. And so Mm -hmm. I took comfort in that, you know, I didn't, I, I really was in the stage of my life where I was not questioning just, Oh, okay. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 And I think a lot of people do because that it's also like, you're just wanting to know what's going on. So it's hard to pinpoint and anxiety is also really hard to pinpoint and kind of make the connection to the, the physical and emotional and mental states is not, not the easiest thing, I think. No, it's not. And also most people with autoimmune, they don't get a diagnosis for a long time because all of the symptoms, they kind of tell a story, but they don't really 
can't really pin it until they can pin it. So a lot of people with autoimmune or just health imbalances in general will have all of these, what look like random symptoms. But now I look at them as not random. I'm like, Mm-mm, mm. not random. You know. No. Also, mine were not random, but then they were fueled by poor choices. They were fueled by yeah. convenient choices versus, oh, you know what? I need to slow my life down. I need to not work as hard. I need to not have this mentality of just make it go away so I can live my life. I was a really young mom mm-hmm. and I was supporting two kids. So working, I prioritized working, which in retrospect was a poor choice. Cause I thought, Oh, work so I can support my kids. Well, Hey, how about take care of myself so I can support, so I can always support my kids. Right. Yeah. Instead, I was just kind of driving myself into the ground and taking the convenient path whenever possible, you know, And so I think all of those just kind of led to this ultimate diagnosis of autoimmune Crohn's disease. And then I entered at 34 years old, I entered, well, I was already in what felt really selfish. I felt like the world revolved around my pain, my agony, being in bed, my daughter's coming to be in bed with me. You know, if I couldn't make it to the office, I'd work from bed. I really, everything became about whether I could go to their plays, whether I could you know, Mm -hmm. tolerate it. I was just in pain all the time. And Mm -hmm. I'd spent my life not wanting to be a burden. And here I was the greatest burden, just truly from not taking care of myself and not taking the time to actually listen to my body and heal it. Mm -hmm. But instead, you know, continue to treat my body like something that I could use and abuse and that it would always bounce back because that was kind of my younger person mentality of like, oh, my body bounces back. So we're good. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Fascinating. It's like really interesting to hear you kind of share that part of it, that piece, because in my healing journey, I guess my awakening to my own self and consciousness and awareness, that's one of my biggest fears. Could I be a mom? And is my health, my anxiety or my lack of energy or my, the things that I've experienced, are they going to come back or are they, am I going to be able to be a mom and have the energy to be a mom? Because I get really scared of whether like my health symptoms and things are going to come back, you know? Mm-hmm. And and that's something to just work on. It just sounds like a limiting belief, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. A fear, a fear being driven by a limiting belief of, of a situation. And, you know, it's, it is interesting how those little, those little thoughts become like little, I don't know, <laughs> like energy drains, right? These fears that we walk around with become energy drains. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So cut to how did you get over this? So got the diagnosis. And that was the moment that my backbone, my childhood foundation came back to me. It had never left a hundred percent, but I definitely kind of went, eh, you know, my parents, like, again, comparison, I left home and all of these people were eating and drinking too much and being married and they were all looked healthy. And I was like, oh, they can do it. I can do it. Right. Yeah. My parents weren't about what you looked like not at all. They were about what you felt like. And so I had ditched all of that for, Hey, these guys can eat fast food. And I didn't like fast food, but the mentality of like, you can eat what you want and do what you want and you're fine versus the mentality that I was raised with, which is you have this incredible priceless gift. It's very expensive. If you break it, take good care of it. So here I was entering not only the most difficult years of my life, most humbling years of my life, but the most expensive years of my life where it was doctor's test and, 
you know, do- doctor's visits and, and all of these special, you know, um, cat scans and you name it. And I was just like hemorrhaging money and it all made sense. My parents' wisdom came back to me and just smacked me right in the face. And I was like, wow, okay. All right, mom and dad, I see you. Yeah. Um, I'll coming you. back, I'll coming <laughs> back to me now. Full circle, coming back home to the wisdom of the parents. And, and so I woke up to that Crohn's diagnosis and it was like a fire had been lit under my butt. Wow. And uh, <laughs> I was like, I'm going to heal this naturally. Yay. When I think about that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm going to heal this naturally. And the belief system that they had instilled that I had rejected was back. And it was the gift that gave me the life I have now, because I not only had to come home to this belief of my body is incredible and it can heal. And I'm going to deny all of these experts that I'd been giving all of my health to over the last 10, 15 years to, to keep me healthy. And they didn't keep me healthy. Mm. You know, here I was sick. So all of these incredible people that could quote unquote, help me when I was sick, none of them could actually help me all, you know, and didn't matter how quote unquote great they were. They, they couldn't help me. So I Mm. realized I had to help myself. And I did. I started exploring every single diet and lifestyle out there that was anti-inflammatory, you know, and just diving deep and nourishing traditions is really the place that I'd grown up with their principles. So I went back there first and went on to paleo and went on to breaking the vicious cycle and, you know, gaps principles and Ayurveda. And I really took an incredible deep dive in the nutrition world Crohn's disease wasn't responding to it. Crohn's disease, my Crohn's disease was just, it was just like, I was just like a volcano of hot, hot lava. Mm. <laughs> it's like everything yeah. in my body was inflamed. I had inflamed joints and my knuckles were swollen and my skin had rashes and my mouth had rashes and my hair was falling out. And I was just, I was just a mess. I was just an absolute mess. So, um, that was 34 33 is kind of when the wheels fell off. And then 36 is when I met Karen. So this is 10 years ago now. Right. Whoa. Big, big moment here. Yeah. I just turned 46. So yay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I met her, I'd started the bean protocol before talking to her. I'd read about it. Um, the book, a really good friend of mine, when I was home with a really bad particularly bad flare. And I should mention that I was in a flare for three years. Yeah. I was very skinny when I met her. I was 107 pounds and I was, I am five, seven. So uh, yeah, I was just a little stick suit. So Mm -hmm. she and I began, but I had already started the beans and the beans had already started to work. But when I came to the beans, I could only eat meat and potatoes. That was literally it, like meat and potatoes. (laughs) That was all I was eating, Um, which I kind of find funny, but it was horrible. Like I I literally couldn't eat anything else. But so she and I started together. And I remember looking at the notes recently that I had, and it was like unique, diagnosed with Crohn's, really painful period, works a desk job, which I did at the time. I was an executive producer. 
Yeah. I did, it wasn't, I mean, it was a desk job, but I traveled a lot for production and stuff like that. And in kind of bold letters, she's a sugar addict. Oh. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sugar is so hard, man. It just feeds the inflammation. And it's interesting yeah. that most women that I work with in my practice are addicted to sugar, whether it be natural sugar, quote unquote, or sugar, mm-hmm. sugar, mm-hmm. just sugar is, I don't know what it is. I mean, I think it's, it's obviously, if you look at our health crisis, which is obesity and diabetes, a lot of people are addicted to sugar. So yeah. Yeah. It's like cracks. Like it's like the equivalent as what a lot yeah. of people say, right? Super cracky, McCracky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my best friend, one of my best friends is from Amsterdam where they have white bread and chocolate sprinkles for breakfast. Oh no. And I was like, whoa, what? <laughs> yeah. like a, that's like a childhood fantasy right there. But um, it's true. I mean, I, that's what I grew up eating. I, when I was a kid, I did not eat like for lunch. My mom wouldn't, I wouldn't eat any kinds of sandwiches or meats or like any normal stuff. I would literally have white bread with Nutella for lunch mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. That was what I would eat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, All right. Yeah, I, I mean, I would eat good, healthy food at home when we were at home, but during the days at school, I would not eat anything that kids wanted to eat. Yeah, it was weird. Well, didn't other kids, weren't other, were other kids eating sugar too? Because I really have this this pack animal theory of like, even if you do stuff in the private of your own home, when you're with others, even if your body doesn't like what you're doing, even if it doesn't feel good, you're just gonna join the pack, you know? True. It's very true. Yeah, absolutely. And I still feel that, right? Like I can do a lot of different things health oriented on my own. And as soon as I'm with other people who are, you know, they eat sugar or they eat stuff or do things that are fine for them, but I do it and I'm instantly in like a a flare or I'm heavy and tired and exhausted for three days after like I have a hangover or something. I call them the unicorns, the friends that never seem to get sick and the food never seems to bother them. Mm-hmm. And those are the ones that everybody compares their self against. Yes. Which doesn't take into consideration our genetic differences. So right. me trying to live like everybody else because they looked healthy and damn, they looked fine. Mm-hmm. But the other thing is, is nobody talks about their ailments or or a lot of people are so disconnected from their bodies that they don't even know that their body is ail. You know, it has yes. some issues going on. So yeah. they're not talking about it. They're probably not connected to it. And yep. here we are comparing ourselves against those who are either unicorns and truly can get away with anything, or they're just sleepwalking through life and have no idea what's going on with their body. And here we are going, but they look good. So, Hey, I'm going to do what yeah. they're doing. Right. Yes. Yes, exactly. It's, it's a, it's a kind of like a calamity all in its own on. It is. Well, it's all based off of superficial health versus health as it truly is, which Mm is cellular health is actual health. What somebody looks like is this superficial ideal of health potentially, Mm -hmm. but really cellular health is something that we truly have to work at. We can't, it's not something that you can just leave up to chance is what I learned. It it was really something I couldn't be part-time healthy and be healthy. The world is too toxic. Stress is too high. It's like for me now, knowing my Achilles heel, my genetic disposition towards inflammation Mm -hmm. and autoimmune, I'm a hundred percent all in all the time. 
Yeah, you are. It's so inspiring to see and to just, you can just tell, right? When someone is really living what is, they're living their talk. Is, there, is that right? Living their walking, talk? Walking, walking their talk. the talk. Yeah. The walk. Yeah. 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 And that is, is you. And so it's, it's always really great because I, I am very close to that all most of the time, but there, I always, I fall off. I fall off mm-hmm. the wagon kind of. And there's times where I'm like, oh, Vanessa, you know, who are you kidding over <laughs> here? <laughs> because you're, you're just kidding yourself, you know, when you're like not doing things that you, you know, work for you. Yeah. I mean, I would say that I went through a period of that when I went into remission. So, okay, let's back up for a second here. Yeah. 36 years old. I meet Karen. I begin, mm-hmm. I truly dive in. It still took me a year and a half to go into remission with my Crohn's. And then it took me at the two year mark to go, or even longer to go in remission with my endometriosis. Okay. So it was a journey. And I think, well, I don't think I know because I work with hundreds of incredible humans all over this planet mm. that we have a diet mentality when it comes to our health. We have a skin deep mentality when it comes to our health. If I look good, if I fit into my jeans, which was how I lived for the mm. first 30 some years of my life, then I'm healthy. And if I lose the weight, you know, then it's great versus how do I feel? Yeah. regardless of weight. Yes. We're women. Yes. We contemplate our weight. We want to feel good in our bodies. That's really important. And I want to stress that I understand that mm-hmm. because I am a woman who lives in a body that I want to feel good in, yeah. but I don't want to just look good. I want to actually feel good. I want healthy periods. I don't want headaches and personality changes around my period, which is, you know, for mm-hmm. me, it would be just annoyance, irritability, Yes. Sometimes sadness, but usually I became like a full-on praying mantis or a dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to have the resilience to live a good life. I want to vitality and energy. So mm-hmm. when yeah. I went into remission and I was in remission, it's funny because that was a, the time that I wrote my first book, Your Taste Buds Are Assholes. And if you look at that book, I was also in school to get my nutrition degree. I was learning all of this stuff that was counter to what I had gone through, which is no sugar, no alcohol. And here I was in school and it was like unique, good wine is great. And dark chocolate is amazing. And so in my book, I'm actually like, oh, a little dark chocolate here and a little, cause I was in that, that stage yeah. of being yeah. in school and learning about all of this stuff. And even yeah. though I had just healed doing the opposite, I was already going, well, maybe some of this is okay. And maybe some of that is okay. So over the two year period that I was in school for my nutrition degree, I was experimenting with, okay, the base of my diet is being protocol, no yeah. sugar, but I'm going to have some dark chocolate here and some wine there. And you know, if dessert, I would never order dessert, but if dessert was passed around, I'd have a bite. It was kind of like I'd loosened the grip right. a little bit. Yeah. And That's I, so funny. yeah. And I was like, but I'm going to be conscious of it. I'm going to pay attention. Yeah. And at the end of that two years, I'd written the book, put it out. I was like, okay, let's take stock of how I actually feel. And also I was trained to use supplements. And of course, as anybody who's researched mm-hmm. the protocol knows, it's pretty much a supplement-free protocol. Mm-hmm. Um, I am trained to use them. I do use them with certain clients, but to jumpstart healing, I'm like, ditches, man, especially if you've been on them for a long time and they're not doing shit for you, except wasting away your wallet. I'm like, just ditch them, take a break, you know, mm-hmm. like yeah. get back to baseline. But Anyway, so after that two years, I graduated, 
I was working again full time and going to school and being a mom and all that amazing stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I don't feel as good. I don't feel as good. Not to say that dark chocolate's bad for everybody. Uh, For me, even that amount of, you know, and a coffee here, a decaf latte there. Like I was definitely Mm -hmm. starting to like, you know, creep back into it. Yeah, that's that's where I am right now. Yeah. 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 So I feel you. And then that's why I tell my clients too. I'm like, they're like, oh, unique. I fell off the wagon. I'm like, well, let's define what falling off the wagon is. Falling off the wagon is you ditch the protocol altogether, or you just added something in. Because if you just added something in that, I would say you're more of a 90, 10 or an 80, 20, depending on the the, the size of size of what you've added in. Right. But if you've dumped the protocol altogether, then yeah, you've gone, you've gone off the wagon. Agreed. I Um, think that's a really important distinction. Cause I, I, that's what I would say too. I don't use that term as much anymore mm -hmm. where I'm, cause I don't, I feel like I am pretty like 80, 20 or 90, 10, Mm -hmm. but I do do it consciously and watch how I'm feeling Mm -hmm. when I, when I do those little sneak ins. And I think that's a, that, and that's another thing. I think, um, we spend a lot of time beating ourselves down, right. Mm-hmm. Or we spend a lot of time getting caught up in restriction versus not restrictive. We, we mind fuck the shit out of ourselves in so many different ways. Yeah. Um, and I did the same for me being healthy before I got sick was I'm going to go on this diet, AKA eat healthy. I'm going to lose this extra 10 pounds that I yeah. Put on. Right. And then as soon as I do that, I'm going to go back to eating unrestricted. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I had created these categories that I became emotionally attached to. So to me, when I say that I healed my physical body alongside my emotional and spiritual body, mm. it's because it is a full body experience. You can't just heal your body and then go back to life as usual. It's like, okay, yeah. what are my limiting beliefs around taking care of my body? What are my limiting beliefs around eating healthy? Do I feel restricted or is this the permission slip I need to not love my body? Is it my permission slip to abuse my body and do things that don't feel good for my particular body, regardless if Jane and John are drinking coffee every day and eating sugar every day and going out and eating pizza and burgers and whatever else, like their, that's their body. What about my body? What, how is my body feeling? And is the result of my choices okay with me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so important. So important. So yeah. 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 And so at the end of that two years, I took stock of my health mm-hmm. and I went, how do you feel? You're doing, you're fitting in, you're eating your beans for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And sometimes a snack, you're eating your fat snack, but then you're having this little coffee here and this little chocolate there and some wine with friends and taking a bite of their dessert. Um, how do you feel? And I was like, Hmm, I don't feel as good. Right. And I don't want to settle now that I know what great feels like. that's the other thing is most people don't know what it feels like to feel great. Yes. Very true. That not at all, like literally not at all. So the baseline is already in the garbage, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. And then when you do feel great and you have experienced that, then it also, I think, becomes about self-worth comes into play, I think, a little bit more too, because are you feeling like you deserve to feel great 100% of the time or more of the time, right? Right, right. And myself, I loathed my body. I was like, from the moment I realized 
that you could get love and, and attention by being model thin. I looked at my body and I'm like, I have hips and a butt and a this and a boobs. And a, and I was like, uh, how do I, how do I get the superficial love? Because mm-hmm. I don't love myself. How do I get this replacement love for the lack of love that I have for myself? So I abused my body in ways of like, don't eat, eat too much, you know, restrict, binge, mm-hmm. work out too hard. This lack of love was really of, of self-acceptance and love was really this undertow of my whole healing journey. So when I got sick and I was suddenly in this, you know, supposedly the sexiest years of your life is your thirties. Yeah. In my opinion, you know, you're like not a little girl anymore in your twenties, kind of whatever you're, Mm -hmm. you're more settled and you're have this, and you're obviously ahead of the curve for me. It was like, I felt like I was just hitting my stride as a woman in my thirties but I had this like self-loathing going on and lack of self-love. So when I got sick and I was losing my hair and I had sores everywhere and I was so skinny, so, so, so skinny. I, I, I didn't, the irony wasn't lost on me. Right. I was like, Oh, interesting. So you can be too skinny. Right. Okay. Noted. Mm. And, um, and then began the healing of, you know, the healing of my relationship with my body, happened in those sick years where I look in the mirror and I would force myself to look at the bones and the veins and the rashes. And I would stand there and just stare Mm. and, and see the person, this person in front of me wasn't attractive to me, but she was mighty. She was fighting for something. She was fighting for something really important. She was fighting for her life and her beliefs and everything that mattered. And that was the journey that I fell in love with myself, where I looked beyond the size of my jeans, because at that point I was wearing a size zero, zero. I was wearing my daughter's jeans and they were big and I was just skin and bone. And and I fell in love. I was like, look at you. You are fighting for something that means something to you. And that isn't about looks. That is about spirit. And in that journey of healing my relationship with myself and falling in love with my body, I could actually hear my body. I could actually hear it when I went, oh, that doesn't work. So now I have this dialogue with my body of what works and doesn't work. And I don't really care what anything, what anyone else around me is doing. Drink seven bottles of wine, have 20 desserts, do you, but I'm going to be very comfortable doing me. Yeah. And that's something that I have had to learn for sure over the years as well. And it's not an easy thing to learn, I think, but it makes a world of difference, you know, in so many different areas, not just foods or drinks or what you're intaking, but also in everything you're ingesting, the people that you're hanging out with, all of that. Yeah. Your food isn't just on the plate. It's the information you take in and the people, the energy that you surround yourself with. And it's a full life experience. I I do think that the, that everybody wants to be different until they have to eat differently. (laughs) Everybody wants to be alike, right? It's so true. It is (laughs) so true. (laughs) <laughs> it's like, and I always want to be different. Yeah, I yeah. want to be different. I just don't want to eat different. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's actually so true. It's so funny. Okay. So I feel like I always do this. I always kind of forget to introduce the main thing at the beginning of the show, but can we, for everybody who's listening to probably still being like, what the heck is the bean protocol? <laughs> 
What the is bean that? protocol, as I describe it, is a whole foods diet with a focus on fiber. Our ancestors ate the upwards of 100 grams of fiber a day. Most people eat five to 10 max. We need roughly, roughly 20 to 30 grams. It's a sliding scale based on individuality and how does fiber, but also everybody eats too much fiber all at once. So as soon as I talk about the bean protocol, people are like, oh, unique. I ate like six cans of beans and now I feel like shit. And I'm like, well, yeah, because your body's not used to fiber. So, right. you know, it's a slow introduction of fiber into your diet and allowing in a very caring and loving way, allowing your body to adjust to this new thing called, or this bigger thing called fiber on your plate. So, but that's mm. basically what it is. A whole foods diet with a focus on fiber. I personally um, am a thriving omnivore. I have gone through the vegan. I've gone through vegetarian. I've gone through pescatarian ideas in various points in my life. And I have come to settle that a very small amount of protein does incredible wonders for me, but I do work with creating protocols for uh, vegetarian, vegans, et cetera. Huh. Okay, cool. Yeah. I've kind of done that too. I've gone through different times and phases where I've been like vegan, raw, you name it, just kind of exploring all different avenues. But I, I think anyway, I'm always open to continuing to explore a bit, but I think I'm the same. I think I definitely thrive off of a little bit of, you know, good quality meats and protein, animal protein. Yeah. Yeah. So essentially focusing on fiber and then the beans come in. Can you explain a little bit more about why fiber is so important and the, and the specifically the fat soluble fiber? So there's soluble fiber and dietary fiber okay. and, and, and resistant starch is kind of in the fiber category. So dietary fiber is what most people think of roughage bulks, the stool, um, in a lot of vegetables and then soluble fiber is in very few. It's in legumes, it's in oatmeal, it's in psyllium husk. So if you research benefits of fiber, it's heart health, hormone health, it's cholesterol, you know, keeping right. healthy cholesterol. Fiber helps fight colon cancer. You know, the list is just incredible. So the fact that there isn't a focus on fiber in everybody's diet is just kind of mind blowing to me because it's the benefits are just amazing. Yeah. Um, better bowel movements, mm -hmm. you know, all of that. So, but what's special about soluble fiber is that soluble fiber has the capacity to bind with bile. It's strong enough to hold bile and bile is something that we circulate mm, every 20 minutes a lot of people have gallbladder issues. I work with a lot of people with gallbladder issues and dissolving stones because it mm. actually can be possible to dissolve stones and save a gallbladder. I meet a lot of people who have no gallbladder and, and really horrible health issues. Wow. Um, and the bean protocol helps. I mean, it's just incredible. Working with this protocol is just blows my mind. Uh -huh. But um, the soluble fiber is really the key in in interrupting the enterohepatic recirculation system and catching some of that bile and helping to alleviate hormonal issues amongst many things. Wow. Okay, good. I hope everybody's taking notes because this is this is the part that like I don't explain very well because I'm not a holistic nutritionist and I don't study the protocol as much as you. Like I don't have as much experience with it, but I think that's the really important part because you know, I used to also do a lot of juice cleansing or I used to do a lot of uh, 
just eating really healthy, but I didn't have enough fiber. So I didn't realize, but I probably wasn't actually eliminating as much of the excess hormones or the excess toxins at all. Nothing was pulling it out, right? Well, yeah, I mean, I, and I don't want to poo-poo all of the, you know, no. they've been around for a long time. I just mm-hmm. don't, I just personally not a fan of coffee enemas, not a fan of, you know, forcing the liver to flush in general. I feel like what I love about this protocol is it's very gentle. It's mm-hmm. not forcing the body in my personal healing journey and everybody's on their own. Mm-hmm. For me, being in sync with my body and doing things with my body was much more interesting than doing things at my body or forcing my body to do something. So what I love about this is that it's not forcing my liver to cleanse. It's not forcing my body, but it's really just falling in line with what my body's already doing naturally. Yeah, that's great. And I think another thing that's important to mention about the protocols that it is something that it's not an instant fix, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not something that you just do for a week and all of a sudden you're immediately better. It is, I tell them, I tell people that too, it's something you got to just slowly integrate and you got to actually consistently do it. You got to consistently commit to the process of observing your cycles when, if it comes to hormones or observing how you feel in an actual amount of time, because it is a slower process, I find. And it is very different. So I've been on it myself since 36 to 46 and a little before when I started it on my own, but, and I've been working with it, coaching. I first started coaching for free when Karen was still actively working. You know, I would, people would come to me because of the book and then I would just coach them for free because I had a very different career. So Mm. I got a lot of experience and I still work with Karen to this day, tweaking. Yeah. Uh, yeah, she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've had a lot of experience over the years with it, creating hybrids for people who have multiple health imbalances. I've seen it. I've seen it all. I've seen it work incredibly well. I've seen the struggle with getting into it. Um, I've seen situations where it, we have to start without beans because there's histamine or mast cell, mm-hmm. you know, it's very complex. It's definitely when I first started practicing with it, and working with Karen with it as a professional, I was bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and I wanted to save the world. Mm. And now I'm like, ooh, yeah. Okay, there's definitely not a one-size-fits-all here. It, it definitely takes a lot of really meeting the person in front of me and building for them, creating for them. There's a lot of people who can do my courses and have incredible results and I get these incredible love letters, but then there are these other situations that are more complex and You can get two women who have painful periods and PMDD, and they're going to heal at totally different paces. Why is that? I have no idea why that is. How, how does one get out of pain and her, um, depression and anger and irritability dissipate within three months and the other person six months in and still working on it or with acne? Why does it take longer for one person with cystic acne? And at the six point month mark, another person with cystic acne is totally you know, in remission, like, it's just, it's profound to me, the, mm-hmm. how deeply individual we are on this yeah. healing journey. For sure. And then of course, everyone has just so many different foundations of, you know, your emotional foundation and your mm-hmm. mental and your spiritual and your levels of trauma too. Like there's mm-hmm. belief systems. There's so many different things that can stop your healing or s- slow or just change your healing journey and the trajectory of it. Right. A hundred percent. I would say 
working on the emotional and the spiritual, um, if that's your thing or the religious, whatever it is that gets you closer to what you truly believe, but also really bumping up against your belief system about yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you hate your body? Do you love your body? Yes. Um, Do you feel like you can heal your body naturally? Um, How dedicated to this process are you? Are you going to get in your way with limiting beliefs? Like I feel restricted. You know, I have a disordered eating past, very disordered eating. I mean, I was just, just destroying myself. And when I healed, the one thing I could be very honest about with myself was it wasn't about food. I had a disordered relationship with myself and food was just the external expression of that disordered relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we all have a a dysfunctional relationship with ourselves at some point in our lives. Like nobody's perfect, right? We Mm -hmm. all have our own self-love journey and self-love healing and all kinds of things that are, that are impacting this and then show up in the emotional or the physical, the mental, of Mm -hmm. course. I mean, this is what I work with, with a lot of people is, is really supporting all levels of healing and releasing the, the conditioning, the trauma, the imprinting that stops you from just being whole yourself. Mm -hmm right? Your authentic expression of who you are. And so tackling it on from as many angles as you can is really paramount. It's a full, it it is healing is a full body experience. And I, and and it takes really a lot of bravery to do it, to face ourselves and to um, shine a light into the dark places and to heal trauma. It's beautiful work that you do. I've, I've, I'm, yeah, I'm a big fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so glad you get it. I'm so, I mean, there's so many people who are getting it now, right? And who are coming back to, or learning from the beginning, or just like you, like coming back to some of the principles that maybe you did grow up with. Maybe there is something in your family history or your culture that was, you know, actually very helpful. And sometimes we need to go back to that place to remember. Yeah. And and I feel lucky that I had that in my upbringing as Mm -hmm. my foundation, because it was something that I could come home to, even though I had to learn it for myself and apply it for myself. It was a place of, it was, it felt like home, like I was coming home. Yeah. Wow. Amazing. I kind of just want to, I don't know if you can do this. Maybe this is not, you tell me, but can we kind of go over a little more in detail what the bean protocol is, or is that something you save for your one-on-ones and clients? I usually save it for one-on-ones because it is uh, not a one-size-fits-all. But what I would say is just start playing with legumes and lentils and seeing how they feel in your body, just adding them into your life. I like, Like I said, I get people who read my book and or follow me and just start adding them in. And yeah. they are already like, I just feel a difference. So yeah. I would contemplate removing foods that you know are triggers for poor health for you or symptoms mm-hmm. and again, playing with fiber in the form of legumes and, and lentils and stuff like that. Yeah, actually, that's really how I started. I When I heard you on Lacey Phillips' podcast, on the Expanded podcast, that's basically where I started too. I just started saying, okay, beans, I'm just going to add a bunch Mm -hmm. of beans to my life because I hadn't really, I hadn't really had a focus on beans or fiber. And I just started, okay, I'll add some a few times a day with some of my meals. I just started to eliminate sugar much more. And I was, when I discovered this, I was coming off of the medical medium lifestyle, Mm -hmm. let's say. 
So it was a lot of fruit and it was a lot of vegetables. And I was still eating probably animal protein because I don't think I went off of that completely, but I would kind of dabble off and on. And then what I was noticing is that it actually did help me quite a bit because he also has a, a lot of eliminating things. Like there's a lot of things that you don't have on that. So that was helpful. And then I kind of reached a plateau where my insulin, I think, and my, just the sugar content for me was probably too high. Mm -hmm. And then I just started, yeah, taking that down a notch. (laughs) And also I was definitely a supplement junkie. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. I was, I was super, super into the supplements and, and it was totally draining my wallet. (laughs) So I was like, okay, I'm just going to try this because it sounds like it would help. And I just want, I'm, I'm always down to try anything. So I definitely ditched the supplements and just added a lot of the beans and stuck to my greens. I've always kind of stuck to the greens and the veggies. Beautiful. Yeah. Adding the beans. And then, yeah, just also, I come from a family, the Portuguese cultural family, where it's not just one Mm -hmm. piece of meat, it's five different kinds at a meal and then seafood as well. And so like, Mm -hmm. sometimes (laughs) I feel like it was maybe a bit of an overkill. So I definitely had to be more mindful about that which I am now. And it feels a lot better to just really listen to my body a little bit more intuitively of like when I need protein versus constantly feeling like I have to have it. There are things that come ingrained from childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, another one is clean your plate, right? Like even if you're full, clean your plate. And I grew up with that. My husband grew up with that. So it's interesting to actually reprogram of like take less and then get more if you want more versus like, oh, fill it up and then clean your plate, right? Ah, definitely. And then I wanted to share what I've noticed on this protocol and on this journey specifically, because it has been so helpful for me when I started it and I did it. And I don't think I've ever done it perfectly, to be honest. Let's be real. I don't think I've ever done the bean protocol hundred percent perfectly, <laughs> but regardless, I feel like it has really shifted my cycles and my hormones. And I have like way less painful periods which is amazing. Um, yeah. And I used to have a lot of PMS symptoms specifically. I used to feel like I had PMDD, like really depressed and sad and emotional, and it would last for a long time pre during, and then after even like, it would take a while for me to recover and get back to feeling like my normal self. And now I definitely feel like sometimes I don't even have pain. Sometimes I don't even realize I don't feel like I don't get those PMS feelings that, oh, my period's going to come. It just comes. And I'm like, oh, great. It's here. (laughs) And I still have a little bit of pain on the first day, but it's nothing intolerable. And then I also feel like I can do everything I want to do. I rest. I like, I definitely honor my body's need to just kind of rest, but I don't feel like I need to be in bed, bedridden for like four days or something. I mean, I meet clients who can lose days Mm -hmm. to their cycle, right? Um, And for me, it was, I'd lose a week every month to my cycle. It was, it was pretty awful. So that's great Mm -hmm. that you've seen so many benefits and make, and and that's my case in point right there. So just beginning to apply principles here, it can be a game changer. Yeah. I do the psyllium husk in the morning. Mm-hmm. First thing, which I hate. I hate doing that, by the way. Really? <laughs> like, I, well, I just think it's gross. It, it tastes yeah. gross to swallow. I don't know. That's my thing about it. Mm-hmm. 
And you know what? I see it as medicine. Like I, I grew up with a mom who's really into herbalism. And so she was always making us potions and this and that to drink when we mm. were sick. So I just view it as medicine. I don't even think about it. Like it doesn't even cross my mind anymore. That's how I am too. Cause I definitely will do anything to feel better. So I've always kind of had that mentality, but if I had to choose, can I skip it? <laughs> I would probably choose to skip it, you know, <laughs> but because I, I feel the difference. I know how it feels. I feel way more grounded on this protocol too. Like calm my anxiety. I've grown up with so much anxiety and I feel so much more balanced throughout mm-hmm. my days with energy and also just internally. And I think I chatted with you too, when I, at first about, it was acne. Like I have had a lot of acne my whole life. I'm not talking like huge, horrible acne scars. Cause that's like a whole different acne experience, but just hormonal acne and cystic acne would show up a lot. And now I just get maybe a couple or something right before my period or if I'm ovulating, but it's not horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's so much more manageable. And I, I mean, just, I'm looking at your skin right now and it looks great. Yeah. And I notice the difference and feel the difference. And so it's awesome. And when I do notice that I'm getting a little bit more acne or any of the symptoms, really, when, whenever I feel any of the symptoms come back or flaring a little bit, I just up my beans a little bit and really drain all the other bad things and just kind of keep things in check. And that is really what I have been doing in terms of maintaining it for a longer period of time, let's say. Because when I first started, I think I was also more intensely committed, right? Mm -hmm. And now I'm, I mean, I don't know if I would, if it would be exactly, but the longevity plan kind of is how I think about it now. And I just kind of Yeah, that's what I call it. Longevity plan is more maintenance of health and well-being. Yeah. Uh, For some people, that's 80-20, 90-10. I tend to sit more in the 90-10 category, if not 100%. Seldom these days. Early on, like I said, when I was doing my book and in school, I was more, I would play around with 80-20, but then I was like, oh, I just feel better, more 90-10, 100%, like somewhere in that category feels the best to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think each person ultimately, that's what I say. Like when I build protocols, these are healing protocols. These are not forever. This is really to get you into a healthy body and create that health for yourself. Once in that health and creating that healthy body, then you get to decide where you move from there. And hopefully in the process of pulling out all the junk um, or all of the trigger foods or whatever, Mm. you get to have this more honest relationship with your body about what actually feels good. And then you get to decide, is it worth it? right? Yeah. I think that's a key thing is once you get to a place of having that really solid foundation of knowing even what your personal threshold is, there's things I just won't do for sure. Because I just know if I do those things, I'm out, I'm gone. Mm -hmm. I'll have a massive flare or I'll just not feel good at all. So I just won't go there. But then there are little things where I'm like, I can handle a little bit of dairy here and there, you know, Mm -hmm. for me, that is okay. But if I overdo it, I can feel the difference. So I just know what my own personal thresholds are too, which I think is an important part. Exactly. Huge. It's a big part of living in this incredible human body is actually getting to know it, taking the time to get to know it, see what your thresholds are, see what feels good. I had a laundry list of allergies and foods I couldn't eat and gluten being one of them. And now I eat gluten. I can have dairy if I want. I don't have any backlash from it. I choose 
not to eat those foods on a regular basis just mm-hmm. because I feel like I don't need them, mm-hmm. but I don't have a physical reaction to them, which I, I love. Same. Actually, I'm the same. I was so shocked by too, because when I was younger, man, I used to have such a reaction to gluten and dairy really bad. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Gut, everything. It would be pretty bad. I definitely would be like in the bathroom, you know, right away. Um, right. But now it is, if I have a lot, then yeah. If I have it for three days straight or something and mm-hmm. layer it on top of stress and on top of sugar or on top of whatever other things, then yeah, it's, it's definitely not good. But if I just have it a little bit here and there, my body is fine. I don't have any reactions immediately. Mm-hmm. It's nice. I think there's something, it's an interesting mentality when you have to pull foods out of your diet, not because you don't like them, but because your body doesn't like them. And then there's like this really interesting coming home when you resolve those kind of reactions to food and then you get to choose. To me, choice is always the most powerful thing that we have, right? Is choice. So the fact that I can choose to have gluten or choose not to have gluten because it doesn't hurt my body either way is a really nice choice. I choose not to have those foods, generally speaking, Mm. but if I want them, I can have them, right? Like it's really recognizing that choice and choicelessness. So when I was sick, I had a lot of choicelessness and it's interesting how that choicelessness made me feel really not in control. It was like, oh, I can't have these things because when I have them, it causes me so much pain and suffering, but I really want them. And there was like this real conflicted part of it. But now being able to have and enjoy whatever I want, I find myself choosing the bean protocol. I choose it every single day. I wake up and I'm like, oh, I can't wait because I feel the best, right? So it's like this really interesting shift in my whole connectedness to food, which is really now just a tool for great health versus it's my sadness or it's, it fills me up when I'm lonely or, you know, before I used to use food as kind of this emotional conduit for self-soothing. And now food is simply just, how do I want to nourish my body? And it's such an interesting thing when it becomes not about emotion and just about choice. Yes. And about fuel and energy. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And how pleasurable that is. Yeah. Yeah. And like, I'm not perfect with that. That's still something that I, it happens to me. I go through emotional waves still. And then I'm eating things and I'm like, oh, I, I understand I'm eating this because this is what I had when I was five years old with my grandma at home. And, you know, mm-hmm. but I think also when you get yourself to that foundation of health, those moments, you can actually work with them a lot more consciously and you can have a little bit more love and care for yourself in those moments too. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. It doesn't need to derail you completely. Whereas before it used to definitely derail me completely if I went off and had an emotional binge for however many days, like it would just go on and on and on versus having a little moment where I'm like, I'm really sad and I need to just have this right now. Well, I've talked about this a lot, but we don't have a lot of role models on how to grieve in a healthy way. We have role Mm -hmm. models on how to eat a pint of ice cream and a bottle of wine, but we don't have people showing us that it's okay to just feel and hurt Mm -hmm. and not feel the need to fill it with something, right? Obviously there's no wrong or right here, but I do think we need a lot more uh, role models on how to grieve without punishing ourselves at the same time. I love that. And I so, so agree. Yeah. 
Thank you. So I just want to ask, I like to just kind of finish with a little bit of just a happy question, but just what are some things that you're loving right now that's bringing you joy and peace and happiness? I know you talk a lot about sunrises. Yes, my sunrise. Mm, sunrise, um, sunset, but really for me, it's a sunrise when I was sick the sun coming up because I didn't sleep for years. The sun coming up was my beacon of hope, my emblem of hope. My, um, I have another day. I'm alive. I made it through the night. Nights were always the worst for me. So mm-hmm. watching the sunrise is now my gratitude practice. I love it. Um, eating all of the green foods. I eat tons of greens. People ask me about green juice and I'm like, mm, just eat the whole vegetable. It's You're, you're going to get hundred percent more benefit from that. So I just, I love greens in health right now. I, I'm just a big fan. Honest, believe it or not, I love science. So the things that I geek out on when I'm not coaching or doing my own projects is science podcast mm. on longevity of health and wellness. I I love it. I love studying the blue zone people who also love beans, by the way. So yes, uh, that's, what, mm-hmm, that's what I'm really into. Mm, awesome. And I love that because I love, I'm kind of like that too, even though I definitely am more, I love the spiritual mystical side of things, but because that's my sort of area of focus, I also really appreciate people who share more of the scientific parts because then I can learn a lot more. Mm-hmm. And so I appreciate that of you too, because you do share so much and it's great to be able to balance and have both and learn really what's going on in health and wellness in the body and all those aspects. So amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Unique. This was an awesome conversation. I'm so glad that you were able to share here. Can you tell everybody where they can find you? I know you have your book, so share about that and your courses. And then of course you do your one-on-one coaching. So just kind of give everyone where they can find all of that. So you can find all of that on my website, yourgreat.com, Y-O-U-R-E, great.com. That's my company name. It's also my belief in you and every single one of you that you are great, even if you don't feel great at this very moment. Um, And then you can find me on Instagram at Unique Hammond. Yeah. And I have a book out right now called Your Taste Buds Are Assholes, which is not, it doesn't have a protocol in it. It's really just my healing journey through Crohn's to health. Um, But I have had people buy it and say that just from the information I put in there that they've begun their own healing journey, which is beautiful. I do have a second book that I am working on, which is hopefully going to be out this year sooner than later. Um, That is more protocol and recipes. Cool. Oh yeah. That's so great. The recipes are really helpful because I get a little bit stuck in like eating and doing the same thing, which is fine because I don't always, I don't mind. Sometimes it just simplifies my life to just Mm -hmm. eat the same thing over and over again. (laughs) But I know recipes are definitely very helpful. So I'm excited for that. I'm excited for it. And it it will just be simply called The Bean Protocol, A Guide for Good Living or something. I'm still kind of messing around with the title, but definitely called The Bean Protocol. So Nice. Okay. Amazing. Well, I will link everything in the show notes so that everybody can find everything. But thank you again for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to this episode, everybody. The All That Heals podcast is edited and produced by Ryan Thompson and Vanessa Faria. Let us know what you resonated with and share this show with your friends. It would really help us grow. Until next time, take care.